Good morning. My name is Nayaswami Nitai. I'm here this morning helping Nayaswami Jaya to do the Sunday service. I'd like to welcome all the guests, retreatants, residents, and the people watching online today. A little special plug for them because for the last couple of years I've been away from the village and I got to sample Sunday service many times over the internet. And thanks to people like Corral for doing that every Sunday. Okay, so these uh, reading for today, for Palm Sunday. <clears throat> this is a book, uh, Rays of the One Light, written by Swami Kriyananda, uh, inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness within your deathless self. Realize your, realize your oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. On Palm Sunday, the throng joyfully acclaimed Jesus Christ as he entered Jerusalem, casting palm fronds before him and singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord bless the king of, him, of Israel. Jesus Christ had told the people, the son of man must be lifted up. His reference, so we are told, was to the mode of his impending crucifixion. Some persons on that occasion had asked, Who is this Son of Man? Was Jesus a human being only? Those who on Palm Sunday called him king little realized the actual nature of his kingdom. He was far more than what they imagined. Yes, of course, he ate, drank, walked, slept, and talked like others. His consciousness, however, was centered in infinity. Yes, again, he laughed like others, but his laughter expressed divine joy, not mere merriment. Again, he wept like them, but never with human grief. The tears he shed were for the sufferings of enlightened human beings. Never were they shed in self-pity. Jesus Christ was wakeful in God. Most people, by contrast, are asleep spiritually. How strange to reflect that less than a week from that entry, excuse me, from that entry into Jerusalem, so joyfully acclaimed, he would be arrested, condemned, and crucified. Such is the bittersweetness of human existence. Smiles of welcome one day, insults, even persecutions the next. How few realize that Christ's suffering would not be for himself, but for people's ignorance, for those who had not yet understood the deeper reality that dwelt also in them. Everyone is born trailing clouds of glory, as the poet Wordsworth put it. Even the meanest beggar has lived the story, or will eventually have lived it, more significant than the greatest epic ever written. In the Bhagavad Gita, this dichotomy between the Son of Man and the inner Son of God is beautifully described. Sri Krishna, representing God in human form, reveals his true nature in infinity. In the 11th chapter of that great scripture, his chief disciple Arjuna exclaims, O infinite light, thy radiance spreading o'er the universe shines into the very darkest abyss. Thy voice overwhelms the roar of cosmic cataclysms. Lo, the myriad stars are thy diadem. 
Thy scepter radiates power everywhere. O immortal Brahman, Lord of all, again and again at thy feet of infinity, I lie in prostration before thee. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Wrapped in the blanket of hope, I slept long. I dreamed I was sitting on a throne, my face wreathed in smiles. My smiles withered, and the petals of my merriment dropped away one by one. Suddenly I beheld myself in rags. Seated on the hard stones of poverty, I wept, and my teardrops fell on the unheeding, unrelenting stones of my present circumstances. The world passed me by in mocking silence. I cried out for thy help, and thou didst wake me at last through the force of my desperation. I laughed to find myself at last neither rich nor poor, but safe forever in thy arms. Oh, waken all anxious souls from their dreams of smiling opulence and crying poverty. O oh, maker of dream worlds, deliver me forever from the nightmare of disease and death. Wake me to immortality. Wake me to unshaken calmness that I may know the fierce terrors of mundane delusion to be only dreams. Today, Palm Sunday, marks the beginning of the week prior to the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. And it's a time for reflection at that, uh, in that week prior to that, reflection on Jesus's life, and of course, reflection on the events that take place in this following week. His triumph, uh, triumphal entrance into Jerusalem on that Sunday, I often think, how must the disciples at that time, what must they have been thinking here He's going into Jerusalem seemingly triumphant in a spiritual sense at least. Many of them thought, I'm sure, the Messiah comes and what, what all of that meant and perhaps it could, uh, could portend. And I'm sure it must have been a, a very joyous time for them. But on the other hand, we see that what took place later, it... it uh, it turned out very differently than what they had, I'm sure, anticipated. And Swamiji, in his commentary, he uses a word that I think is very appropriate it's for this week, but also if we look at life itself, the lessons that come from this experience that Christ himself must, he had to go through. And that was the word, what Swami uses is bittersweet. And I think this applies to life in general. Life is very bittersweet. On the one hand, we think about the, the joys and the triumphs, and people especially when they're young and they're full of enthusiasm and they're going out into the world, there's this great sense of sweetness and optimism of going out and to conquer, to be successful, the young couple getting married, the, the, the new baby that comes, and there's a joyful time. 
And then you see what happens in life goes on. And many people, they start out very joyful, very optimistic, very, very uh, looking toward the sweetness of life. And if not lived properly, what happens in later life, it falls into a, a, a uh, desperation, perhaps disease, disappointment. And life is like that. It's ups and it's downs. And especially when lived outwardly and we seek our enjoyment and our satisfactions out into the world. It goes up and down, up and down. And many of the times when Swami Kriyananda would speak of that, the rhythms of life, he would say, in the end, it all adds up to zero. (laughs) It all adds up to zero. Now, saying that, Isn't there a feeling, perhaps you felt it, and maybe my voice conveyed it, and I know some people feel that way, when they look back on life and they see this, because usually, but in the later part of the life, it's we're on the downward swing. (laughs) People feel, ah. There's a certain sense of sadder but wiser, sadder but wiser. There's that melancholiness that comes into many people's lives at that time. But why sadder? Wiser, I hope. But why sadder? Why sadder? It shouldn't be sadder because the yogi realizes that the life lived properly, the underlying reality is joy. It's bliss. Bliss is the underlying reality when all things are neutralized. We come back to that as our ultimate ending point, not the sadness. The sadness, of course, is lived because people are seeking their satisfactions outside of themselves. And so, naturally, when you do that, the end result is a certain amount of sorrow because it can never truly be fulfilled in that way. And so here Christ came in with, for his disciples, perhaps certainly for the multitudes probably, this great potential of outward joy that was there. But yet it was only less than a week later. People were disavowing him. And they had, you know, he was persecuted and Kept, people kept their distance from him. And the larger question in all of this, when I read that, I see this, yes, life, life is like that. It's up and it's down. I remember as a boy watching a, a program, and many of you are old enough to remember it too. It was the sports program, and they would always begin the program was with the thrill of victory and defeat. <laughs> The thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And that's how, that's how it is. And people feel that. They remember the agony of defeat part, perhaps, more than they remember the thrill of victory. Well, this is how it, this is, how it is. And people often will ask, perhaps that's on a lighter tone, but people will often ask in a little bit more serious tone, why? Why? Why does suffering, because people go through the, the happy side of life, why? Does it seem like suffering comes after that? And particularly when we contemplate what the meaning of this week, we see the suffering that Christ endured, went through, but many things happen in life. And I'm sure those of you who have been called upon to counsel other people have often had to deal with situations where people have gone through great suffering. And they wonder, it's enough to shake people in their faith, oftentimes. Why must we suffer? And of course, this is a cosmic question, but it's something that we 
all of us must at some time in our life, why does God allow suffering to be? And I think behind that, you would have to ask the question, the alternative is, we live in an Eden, perhaps. We live in a Garden of Eden, where nothing goes wrong, the sky is beautiful like it is today outside, it's eternally that way, ants never invade the kitchen. <laughs> they, it, it, life is like that, and then as the opposed to suffering, God does allow suffering, but it's not, we have to understand, it's not a world of sorrow. God allows suffering, but why? He allows suffering for the very same reason. You might ask the question, why does he give us free will? If he's going to give us free will, he has to allow for suffering too. Doesn't it make sense? Suffering is there. But to answer it, why, is to have to understand that we are in this world to learn our lessons, and suffering is part of that, part of that process of learning. And of course, you don't say that to a person who comes to you in despair when they are suffering. But nevertheless, it's for the person who's counseling, we have to understand why this, this world is suffering. It is not a world of sorrow for those people who understand, but for those who identify with this world. For those who identify with this outer world, it can be a place of suffering. But the, perhaps the question that we have to ask here on Palm Sunday did Christ suffer? They say, of course, he suffered for our sins. Well, I'm sure that's to some degree that's true. He suffered for, took the karma on of his disciples for sure, many more perhaps. So he suffered in that way. But did he suffer in the same sense? And we have to understand that the masters are not like you and I. The masters live on a different plane from us. Because we'd have to say, if Christ truly was an avatar, if truly he was one with God, does God suffer? Now, maybe that's getting too cosmic a question, but I, I don't think so. Because the nature, God's nature is bliss. God's nature is joy. God's nature is love. And so anybody who is one with love, one with bliss, you would have to ask, did they suffer in that sense? But certainly he felt pain. No doubt he felt pain. But is pain the same as suffering? Suffering implies an identification with the body. Suffering implies limitation. Suffering implies ego involvement. So on that level, Christ didn't suffer on that level. But nevertheless, he felt. He felt. But yet he was demonstrating how to transcend that outer, what we would call suffering, how to, on, a, on a deeper level setting, an ex, on a level setting an example for all of us. There's that wonderful story that Swami Kriyananda told many times, you all know it, but I'll repeat it for you. The, uh, this is uh, the Saint Rabia from a Muslim saint, a lady saint, many hundreds of years ago. And her disciples had, she was suffering outwardly, she was very ill. She was in perhaps the later, latter part of her life. And on, in her bed, her disciples gathered around her. And one of the disciples said, Oh, Mother, uh, it's, uh, it, no one is no true lover of God who is not willing to suffer for God's sake. 
and she looked at him and said, that smacks of egotism to me. And the next disciple said, well, let me, let me try. One is no true lover of God who is not happy to suffer, suffer for the sake of God. He says, no, no, that's not enough. More is needed. Well, then you tell us, Mother, what is it? And she said, one is no true lover of God who does not forget his suffering in the contemplation of the beloved. And truly, if one is truly in love with God, one forgets one's suffering. Well, who suffers? Who is to suffer? Ananda Moi Ma, great saint in India, Swami Kriyananda visited many times, but one in one of the latter times that he paid a visit to her, she, was, she had been going through many difficulties in her own life. She had been having problems and, and inwardly with her body and also with her uh, the situation that she was going through difficulties. And Swami Kriyananda coming to visit her and having not seen her for some time was commiserating with her, telling her that, you know, that uh, under, in an understanding way, commiserating with her and saying, oh, you know, that's too bad. And said, yes, it's unfortunate that you should have to go through these sorts of things, and unlike you normally would do. But Ma just said, without much, uh, uh, very dispassionately, she said, is that how you see it? And Swami stopped. Because obviously it wasn't how Anandamoy Ma saw it. <laughs> and I can imagine Christ as well. People lament, people weep, they, uh, perhaps they uh, punish themselves. They, the art you see of Christ in his last moments is very sad and depict, and many people speak about his suffering, but I can imagine Christ saying, is that how you see it? Is that how you see it? Because he was beyond that. He was, he was a true master, is one who's with God at all times. Now, a true master, Swamiji would often say that a true master sometimes likes to bring his consciousness down from that exalted elevation to be able to enjoy the I and thou relationship between God and the, and the devotee. And of course, the master brings his, his mind down sometimes as an example also to the disciples. Think of that story of, of Master when he was at Mount Washington and they were putting that fountain in place and it dropped and it fell onto his foot and squashed it. And it was very, very heavy, heavy, heavy fountain and obviously painful. And so Master told the disciples, he says, now I want to demonstrate something. I will bring my mind down into the body. And as he did so, he brought his mind consciousness down into body consciousness and you could see immediately his face began to express the deep, severe pain that he was feeling. You could just see him. I imagine, I don't know if it was this way, but I imagine beads of sweat coming onto his forehead <laughs> at that point and, his, and coloration in his face. And he says, now, I'll, I'll put my mind up into, into with God into the superconscious. And immediately, no pain, nothing, just told, very calm. And he did it again once or twice more, just to demonstrate. So in this sense, of course, you can see if Christ, in, if there was a message behind his crucifixion, you could see that if he was 
oblivious to it all, they wouldn't have carried the impact, the message for others. And that message was how is one to face one's trials in life. And this is what we remember from Easter and that week leading up to Easter is the lessons that are there for us. How do we face our trials in life? How do we face those things that outwardly seem to be very inducive to suffering? We have to. We, we, and if Christ was not engaged in that and was totally above it all, well, obviously, he wouldn't have carried the message. But in his true, deeper consciousness, he was with God. And what is that message that Easter or this week prior gives to us? There's many. I think you could say immediately from what uh, the point I'm making here is, how do you face your trials in life? You face them with courage. You face them with equanimity. You face them with a deep sense of calmness. You face your trials in life with a deep sense of attunement to God. You, you maintain that inner connection with what you're doing. And each of us faces our trials in life. We remember that. And I think this message of, of the Easter week gives us that. How do you face what comes to us? Because we can guarantee, and this is why this, I chose that reading in Whispers today, we can guarantee that life will be up and it will be down. Now, when it's up and things are going well, remember, enjoy it. This doesn't mean that, that oh, I'm not going to enjoy anything outwardly, like Swami in that old sadhu of looking at the sunset. You know, you can't even enjoy sunset? No. And Swami said, what a dry way to live. That's so dry way. So we enjoy it. But we don't enjoy it outwardly, we enjoy it inwardly. We feel that joy inwardly. But we always remember, too, it may change. Clear sky today may bring rain tomorrow. And so we remember that. We have to live in the longer rhythms of life. And we have to see that, yes, something bad's going today. It'll change. Maybe next hour, next day, maybe a week, a month. A year? Well, maybe next lifetime. You know, it'll, you know, it'll change. You can guarantee it. It'll change. You have to ride these out. But when you're young, you don't see the rhythms quite so much. But when you get older, you begin to see that there, there are longer rhythms to life. And so the message there is, yes, face your trials. But yet, look at also the longer rhythms of life. And you could say, also, we face trials in life. And a common message that the this week of the crucifixion is, is, is to we have to pick up our cross. Each of us have to carry our own cross. And I remember Swami saying once about this, yes, we each have to, we have to bear our crosses, but we don't have to groan under them. <laughs> and you often see this sometimes, you know, oh, how are you doing? Oh, you know, I've been, you know and then, and then that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. And because uh, there's a, somehow there seems to be a correlation, or people think there's some correlation between holiness and suffering. <laughs> and this is a Kali Yuga attitude, old attitude. The more you suffer, the more you will not necessarily be holy at all. You're just working out your karma. You know, that, uh, maybe you're getting there in the process, but if you could say holiness is not defined by suffering, what would it be defined by? Joy, maybe? Bliss? 
love, all of these things. That's what defines holiness, not necessarily suffering. But how we face our sufferings, what we take out of the suffering, how we can approach them, that's what we learn. And this is what the lesson of Christ and Christ's loves gives us, is how to face our sufferings. And then again, is when we have these sufferings, difficulty, being able to face them equanimably and also remembering to keep our mind on something higher, remembering love as well. Uh, Christ felt love in that last period of his life. And he, if you were to say he suffered, I think you would say he suffered in the sense of compassion. Compassion, here somebody had brought a great message to people. He brought, he brought a, a, a teaching, he brought inspiration to people, but it was rejected. So in that sense, by the majority at least, and so in that sense, he suffered because here he had something beautiful to offer people, but it wasn't accepted, it was misunderstood. And so he perhaps wept, you could say, for, his, for the suffering, for the potential suffering that people would have to go through because of that rejection. This is, but compassion, suffering of compassion is not the same as the suffering of the body. You could say that uh, Swami once defined compassion as uh, 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 practical empathy. I think that's, and I, I like that. It's empathy, but practical empathy. And what is the antidote for suffering? Be practical. So we want to alleviate it. Joy is the antidote for suffering. So you don't help somebody by jumping into the suffering with them. You help somebody by bringing them joy, by uplifting them, by raising people's spirits. And this is what Christ brought. And so this, again, is a lesson. To be helpful and to help other people is to be joyful, to be able to uplift other people, to be able to share that message, to, be, to love other people. And in the loving, we create around ourselves a protective aura. Don't forget, where there's suffering, remember there's always just a little bit beyond for the devotee, for the person who loves God, there's also grace. Grace is there as well. Don't forget the grace when we are conflicted or afflicted by suffering because it's there too. And the person who can forget themselves in the love of God is truly the great saint. There's that great saint in India, Ramakrishna. And he, in part of his life, he would go into states of ecstasy and he would dance. He, would, he couldn't help himself. He would, he would just have to rise and dance. He was in such bliss. And once he was dancing and he fell in his ecstasy, fell on the ground. But unfortunately, he fell onto a fire that was burning then he fell on his back on the fire and he got up and he but then he raised himself and he continued to dance and the disciples noticed that in his back there was an there was a coal had embedded itself in his back and was burning and people could you could smell the the burning flesh and they noticed it and they said master master and they you know and and he said yes yes he says you have a coal so just take it out take it out and then he went, continued, and it was totally unaffected, totally unaffected, because in the remembrance of God, we forget everything else. And surely, 
if Christ was an avatar, surely if he was an avatar, he was in love with God. He was one with God. And in that sense, he was God, in the sense of that oneness. And of course, the other great lesson that we learn from this week prior to the Easter and the crucifixion is, is he knew what was coming. It was something, it had been foretold, and of course, his ability, he knew, he could see the future. And when it came, he there in the Garden of Gethsemane, his ability to accept that which comes, as Swami and Master would often say, that which comes of itself, let it come. And he accepted it with courage. He didn't necessarily want it, he didn't necessarily invite it, but when it came, he could see in his prayer, he says, you know, even, we, he says, if this cup, you know, let it pass, let it pass. But if it's mine to experience, okay, thy will be done, not my own. And I think this is for us as well. We live our life, I was giving a webinar the other day, uh, and the topic was overcoming our likes and our dislikes. And people often think likes and dislikes mean you have no preferences in life. I said, that's not true. Yet we all prefer one thing or another. There's nothing wrong with preferring something. You may prefer vanilla ice cream as opposed to chocolate. That's perfectly fine. But you're not attached to it. If, it, if chocolate comes, that's okay too. And I think this is the way to approach life. I think turn, you look inside yourself and you see all these desires and perhaps these things you don't like, and, you, and you, you, they rule us. They rule our lives. Let them be, accept, prefer. You don't have to invite, but you could prefer something. And if it doesn't come, that's fine. And I think Christ exemplified that. He didn't, he would, I'm fairly sure, as the Bible says, he wouldn't, he would have preferred not to be crucified, <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> but that wasn't God's mission for through him. He was fulfilling a divine mission. And it had perhaps been planned out, who knows how long before. And he accepted that mission with courage, going forward in faith, going forward in oneness with the divine. And so these are the lessons that Christ this week leading up to Friday, the crucifixion, and then the glory of Easter that comes after it. We have to accept suffering comes to us. And we must remember, when we hold on to God, he does shield us. When we hold on to the guru, he does shield us. But the guru doesn't come to take away our sufferings. Really, we think of it, we think the guru is there to protect us from suffering. It's not necessarily so. The big things may be, but the guru is there to teach us and to give us the way to overcome all suffering. That's what the guru wants, all suffering. And in the meantime, the little things that happen, it's not so much. Don't feel that this is a major thing. And in the last analysis, Everything pretty much is minor compared to the ultimate goal of what all, uh, to what all of us are seeking. So keep, keep Christ close this week particularly. I think this is a special, there's a special blessing in the air 
at the time of the coming and also at the time of the passing of any great saint. And of course, not to speak of the magnitude of the life of such a one as Jesus Christ. Hold them in your heart and try to feel what is the lesson. And pray, offer your prayers at this time of year, this week. Offer your prayers to Jesus and ask him to bless you, to guide you, to give you the strength to, be over, to overcome all of the obstacles and difficulties and that you face all of your trials with courage. Many blessings to all of you.